And I thought build out the shoe height was the smallest person. <laughs> I'm glad to say my um, two boys uh, come up with dad jokes now, so I don't feel too bad about it. <laughs> About eight weeks ago, no, a bit more than that, probably about three or four months ago, uh, we went through the Book of James at uh, Godalming Baptist, and um, I was asked to preach on chapter two and the bit about prejudice. Um, I thought I could sidestep the difficult subject of prejudice by talking about uh, a res what I saw was a resolution of it. So I spoke. Uh, about the prodigal son and that bit where there is an embrace, where God embraces the son, where God embraces us. He accepts all of us. And uh, I, I was really taken with that idea of the embrace. And I'm glad to say a lot of people were encouraged by it. But um, several weeks later, the pastor said to me, there's uh, a week here which needs preaching on. Can you preach? And um, somebody else that we were with said, and what will you preach on? I said, well, I might pick up a little bit of that bit of James that I talked about the other day. And the pastor looked at me and said, hmm, it would be a good idea if you preached on James, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, and then I got this invitation to come and preach on James chapter 5. Um, and when I prepare with these things, I tend to get rather single-minded and involved in it. Um, so bear with me. Lynn's prayer was a prayer of faith that I know what I'm talking about. It strikes me that James is talking about, on one hand, the works of God, and on the other hand, the works of man. He's dealing with the works of the spirit and the works of the flesh. And the scripture says these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I'm going to read you a parable. For the kingdom of God, it will be like when a man goes on a journey and he calls his servants and entrusts them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more talents. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now a long time, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will send you over much more. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not winnow. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not winnowed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming home I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be more given and he will have an abundance. But free from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. I wonder if that parable might be about faith. And where do we come in the story? Hebrews 11 says, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is me getting very involved with it. In Romans it says, anything that does not come from faith is sin. In Galatians it says, in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This was getting quite challenging as I prepared it and it's quite challenging speaking it out. Hope is the trigger, it's what draws us. Faith hope and love the revelation of God is our hope the vision that he's given us faith then I believe is the means or the power the enabling to fulfill love we're told that God is love love is the fulfillment of the law that's where God wants us in his embrace, knowing fully his love, that we might love ourselves. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not been yet made known. But we know when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Christ. The love of God shown to us. So how does this relate to what James is saying? I suspect if I'd submitted this as an English essay at school, I would not have got a very good mark. 
because I distinctly remember them saying, you should have an essay plan. It should have an introduction, what you're going to talk about. It should have a middle bit, which discusses the elements. And then it should have a conclusion. And here is James with, to my mind, an array of thoughts. They come in all over the place, and it never ends, does it? It just cuts off. Lots of ideas and thoughts, lots of instructions. And faith rumbles through this book with this reminder that unless that faith, which is the gift of God, is used to fulfil God's purposes, the purposes of love, it is useless. Is that challenging? You can't please God without faith. Anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. Faith without love is useless. It all sounds rather overwhelming, doesn't it? There's a sense in which we think, oh, heavens, what have I been doing with my life? And there may be some truth in that, but that's God's challenge to us. God shaking us up. God saying, look, keep your eyes on the focus, on the vision, on the revelation. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And he also encourages us to ask God that he may enlighten us and enable us. I don't know if you find this, but the pressure of society is to seems to be to lull us into a sense of false security. Slowly but surely to dull our Christian edge, our Christian instincts. There's a little bit of because you're worth it in everything to the point at which you forget that actually every gift is from God. That it's God who's worth it rather than us the dissembling of our Christian heritage is proceeding, I think, at a, an alarming pace. And it's matched, I believe, by an ever-increasing evidence of evil, depravity, damage to individuals, and damage to society. And the great sadness is that society sees that as progress. And we need to be aware. The scripture says we need to be alert. We need to stand firm, not swayed from what we believe, not tempted to give up. You know those friends that you hear that once you knew firmly grounded in their faith saying, I've lost my faith. Why? Hope? Hope has gone, circumstances have changed, desires have changed, laziness. Does that trouble you yourself in your own life? Are there things which are eating away at faith. And James comes full in your face and addresses this with boom, 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 boom. One idea after another. 
And he starts by saying, be patient. Be patient then, my followers, uh, my fellow followers of Christ. That's you and me. Be patient until the Lord's coming. Can I say that I preach from a place of weakness? I, I am uncomfortable preaching on hypocrisy, prejudice, patience, pride. Because those are the things I can see so evidently in myself. So I'm not preaching from a point of strength, but from God's viewpoint, or well, that's what I'm seeking to do. Don't look at me. Look at God. Look at Christ. It's very interesting what James suggests. If you feel that things are not going right, what do you do? You organise a meeting. You decide to pray about it. You see if you can arrange some different projects, some different outreach. You perhaps go on a conference or two. Maybe you change your pastor. Maybe you, maybe you think you should be planting a church. And some of those things may be necessary or may be commendable, but where James starts is with patience. And I wonder what you understand by patience. Being patient with me while I ramble on here about things that I've been reading about. Or is it like waiting for the train to come? It's late again. Just be patient. When's the food going to be ready? Oh, I'm anticipating a holiday. I can't wait. Be patient. And these things are short term. We know that they will turn up at a particular time. And James tells us that we need to be patient because the Lord will return. We need to have that firm sense of hope that Christ will return. It's about being long-sighted in your patience and certain of a future. Romans, it says, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we're going to be long-sighted you may say to me, well, what's going on in my life at the moment? What's happening while we wait for Christ's return? Well, we've talked about some of the circumstances in society. What's going on in your life? Health problems, finance difficulties, family problems, job difficulties. How do these affect our hope? How should they affect our hope? And as I looked at this word patience, it was a bit like a Pandora's box. And, and I, I have no understanding of Greek whatsoever, and I've re relied on others better uh, instructed than I am. 
but it pointed out that the English language has a very limited vocabulary compared to the Greek. And if you go back through some of the older um, translations of the Bible, you'll find different words used at different times. And sometimes uh, it makes you wonder why they've, they've changed them. Patience, for me, seems to be a, a very short-term thing. Uh, but other words that have been used have been long-suffering. Oh, that, that strikes me as quite different. Long suffering, forbearance. William Barclay says this word, patience, as it's translated in, in a lot of the modern uh, versions, it expresses the attitude to people which never loses patience with them, however unreasonable they may be. and which never loses hope for them, however unlovely and unteachable they may be. It expresses the attitude to events which never admits defeat and never loses its hope or faith, however dark the situation may be and however incompre incomprehensible events may be, and however sore the chastening of God may be. And it strikes me as altogether different from my grasp of patience. I'm looking for the return of Christ. It's a long-sighted vision and everything that goes on at the moment has to be lived in that sense of patience where I put up with you as you... No, no. It's not, it's not putting up with somebody, is it? That's not what it's about. It's loving and caring and providing and not giving up even when you get my goat every day of the week even when I upset you on a Sunday, even whatever the circumstances in society. It's ongoing, it is a living hope. And, and can I say, it's not about accepting things which are unclean or evil or perverse. We're not accepting those things, but we are loving the people. We are loving God. We are standing firm in all of this go while all of this goes on. How important it is to know the hope that you have. Does the scripture not say that you need an anchor for your soul. Can anybody remember what I preached on last time? <laughs> or, the, or the chorus I suggested at the end? Read your Bible, pray every day. And I, I'm convinced that that is the primary thing that we as believers today need to be doing. We need to be reading our scriptures and we need to be praying.
For in reading the scriptures, we anchor our soul in God. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. People lose hope when they take their sight off the goal. I know of somebody whose husband firmly and resolutely refuses to have anything to do with anything Christian. He's a lover of golf. And it struck me that if you're playing golf and you want to get the ball in the hole, if you look at the bunkers, you're never going to do it. And he's looking at the bunker. He's looking at all the problems, the difficulties. He's not looking at the resolution. He's looking at the church and saying the church isn't good enough. And I say, well, of course it isn't, because it's us. But Christ is. Where is your focus fixed? Are you feeding on that hope of Christ's return? If you've lost hope, you sense hope slipping away, start back with confession. Father God, forgive me. God's wonderful embrace in the prodigal son, where the father, irrespective of how his son smelt, looked, what he'd done, what he'd wasted, what he'd thrown away in life, he didn't hesitate. He ran to him and he enveloped him in his arms. And that's what God wants to do for us today. He doesn't want any to be lost. God loves you. God loves us. He wants you to live in his Sabbath rest. He wants you to experience here, now, the fullness of his blessing. And then James gives us this picture of rural life. I know very little about rural life. I don't think I'd survive five minutes. But uh, my, my uncle was a farmer. And um, he got up very early in the morning, went out, had a good complaint about the prices he was getting for everything, came back, had his breakfast, got on with the work. And he did that for years and years. And James says, the farmer waits. My uncle was always busy. So it wasn't a case of just sitting back and doing nothing. He was busy, but he waits. He's patient. He knows that there can be a valuable crop. And he awaits for the appropriate rain that brings the harvest. And he needs that crop to feed his family. You are a valuable crop to God. The seed has been sown. You have a rich inheritance. God is making provision so that you can receive it. Stand firm. Strengthen your heart. And the other great encouragement with this call to forbear is that this is how God is described in Scripture. You can go through the Old Testament and see 
that the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You, you do a little Bible study and follow that passage as it goes through the Old Testament. It keeps reappearing because it's so important. God is faithful and abounding in love. God is faithful and abounding in love. Even today, God is faithful and abounding in love towards you. And his great desire is that you will respond to him and he is patient to the uttermost he is patient he's forbearing in exactly the way he asked us to be he puts up with us as we are no that's not right he loves us because we are as we are and has that hope we're called to take on the very nature of Christ Forbearance is an essential part and faith is the means by we, which we attain that character of Christ. Uh, Galatians 5 deals with this battle between the flesh and the spirit because that's the problem. It's the flesh which pulls us away and we need to learn to live in the spirit. Um, and God says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance ask God to help you in this and so it means that there are also practical issues and uh, James comes out again don't grumble against each other oh help uh, are we in trouble again don't grumble have you grumbled anybody today since I've been preparing this every time I've started to grumble I've had that sense of oh It doesn't matter if you've got great faith, an important job in the world or in the church, if you're right or if you're wrong. Whatever the circumstances, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And remember, these three remain, and the greatest is love. And it's that life of faith, I believe, which sets us apart from the world. Remember, faith is not wishful thinking. It's not expecting what I want done, done. It's not what makes logical sense. It's not the best argument. It is what God has set in our hearts. And... James says that God is the judge and he's standing at the door. He expects you to be living by faith. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about we, what we do not see. In Hebrews, the ancients were commended for this. Long-sightedness, hope set on God and his salvation. If you have any doubts, if you need encouragement for forbearance, for patience in the face of suffering, consider the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I, I am not in any way qualified to talk to you about suffering. I have, I have really, though there's been some unpleasant things in life, but I've never suffered. I don't think I've ever suffered in the way that he's talking about here. 
others will need to talk to you about suffering. We can read about it, we can read Job. Who's read the book of Job through recently? <laughs> 40, 42 chapters, is it? I'd commend you to read the book of Job. Or listen to David Suchet reading it while you're doing the cooking or the cleaning or, or whatever you do. Um, I don't think Job is a model for us, but here he brings up Job and he says, here's an example. He had incredible loss. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He had to live in pitiable circumstances for years and years because the Lord allowed him to be tested. But eventually, the scripture says, he experienced the Lord's compassion and mercy. And whatever our circumstances, we have to learn that God shows us the same compassion and the same mercy. And to do that, we need to be prepared, grounded in Christ, learning the lessons of faith, rather than the lessons of the flesh, which are so easy to learn. <laughs> and so he goes on. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's not always so difficult. Of course I will do it. No, no, all you need today is, is respond yes. You don't need to make promises that you can't keep. You must determine whether it's a yes or a no that you're answering and be simple and straightforward. There's so many things in this bit of scripture. Dealing with trouble, pray. Happy, sing songs of praise, but don't stand too near to me when I'm happy. In sickness, call the elders. Make yourself vulnerable to believe the other believers that you're in fellowship with. That's not easy, is it? If you're sick, call the elders and trust. Deals with sickness and its relationship to sin. I'm going to leave you to talk to, to read through um, some of the scriptures on sickness and sin and healing. And then he says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And there is a tension here, answered prayer, unanswered prayer, where we don't see an answer to prayer, where we don't like the answer to prayer. I have no particular answer to many of these things. Many of them are questions for you to explore. But what I can say is that you can pray. And then you can rely on the sovereignty of God. And perhaps that's a little bit more difficult. If God hasn't given you faith for a particular thing, for praying for, don't bother. If it's not done in faith, it's sin, the scripture says.
and the prayer of a righteous man is effective and powerful. I think there's three things on that. One, if you're not praying, there's no opportunity. If your prayers are powerful but not effective, there's not a lot of point. But if you're righteous, your prayers are powerful and effective, God is at work. I just, sorry, I'm rushing through this. It's taking a long time. But I'm just going to go quickly to Elijah. Who's read about Elijah recently? How many chapters in scripture are there on Elijah? I think there's three. It's amazing. We know about Elijah. We picture many things about perhaps Elijah. But there's very little on uh, the life of Elijah. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe. Here James uses him as an example. He prayed for rain. He prayed that the rain would... would he prayed that the... Um, there would be no rain for three years and then he prayed that there would be rain and you remember the story uh, he, the man looked in the distance and he said I see a cloud as small as a man's hand um, and eventually it rained he was exercising his faith in a relationship with God and we have the same gift of effective prayer powerful, effective prayer. And so the question there remains, are we, are we exercising our faith in prayer? And then finally, he says, don't let people wander away. Sometimes it can be difficult if you see somebody wandering away from the faith. He says, if you can draw them back, there is salvation and uh, many sins overcome. That's a bit like standing in front of a machine gun with thoughts. <laughs> um, but I hope it's triggered something um, that will encourage you in seeking out this life of faith. Making sure that you have an anchor for your soul. That you are firmly grounded in it. That you will read your Bible and pray every day and encourage one another, that you will be open to one another, that you will be open to praying for um, uh, the needs of your fellowship, your other people in the fellowship, um, the many things that, that come across us in church life. And remember, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. So as we go away, whether you've liked what I've said or not, you've got to love me. <laughs> and I've got to love you as well. And may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit fall upon you, rest with you, and remain with you. Amen.